just a little quick overview about what um, I want to do this weekend. I want to tonight. I do want to give you an overview of how we can view ourselves. I actually want to kind of look at some negative ways we can view ourselves. Just sometimes it's good to just start off with kind of uh, taking a, a, a stock of ourselves and saying, "Is this?" Is this where I'm at? You know what? And sometimes we don't even know we're seeing ourselves wrongly. We don't even know what it looks like. So I want to start off with that, just so we can almost tonight be aware. And then tomorrow, I'm I'm going to look at an, a perspective that is foundational to knowing who we are in Christ and to having the confidence to live through this life. And tomorrow's going to be really key in the morning when I share about that, and, um, and then Sunday, Val's going to share in the afternoon, then Sunday I'm going to share with you a process um, that I believe if you can grab a hold of it, it's going to change the way you think, and it's going to help you to, you know, how many people know the way we think affects what we say, what we do, right? It starts right here, and so if we can change this, and there's some practical ways we can do it. If we can change this by, with God's help, we can begin to see change in our life. I'm going to show you a very practical way that if you put it into practice, if I put it into practice, I believe you're going to be able to see truth prevail in your life and you're going to have a clear identity. So I want to start off with a poll. Are you ready? A little bit of interaction. You know, you've just eaten. You need to get excited again. You need, okay, so I can do a little poll here. So I'm guessing a lot of you know someone who's told a lie so many times that they start to believe the lie is true. You ever known anybody like that? They've told it, hopefully not you, but they've told it so many times they believe the lie is true. That's what we call self-deception. So here's a little experiment. How, now think about this for a minute. How many of you would honestly say that for you, battling with self-deception is a significant problem? You're really, really deceived about a lot of things. Put up your hand. Nobody. Okay, that's good. I mean, oh, I appreciate the honesty. Thank you very much. Okay, so one person uh, says so. Okay, no, okay, so that's our poll, one person. Uh, how many, okay, so let me ask another question. Think about other people. People who may think they are good at something and they're really not. They think they don't have a problem, but they really do. You know people like this, okay. How many of you know someone else that is really self-deceived? Put up your hand. More hands, okay, more hands, all right. Now, uh, put them back up for a minute. If you, if just being honest, put your hand up. Oh, look around, okay, look how many hands. Now, we, we knew one really honest person put their hand up earlier. Now, there's quite a few hands, okay. Now, do you see that we kind of have a statistical problem here? You, you know what I mean? Because hardly anyone here is self-deceived, yet almost all of you know someone else who is. So... What does that mean? Could it be that we're personally maybe a little bit deceived? Maybe, yeah. So here's the thing with deception. You don't know you're deceived, right? That's why it's called deception. So I might think that the way I view things is totally accurate and totally spot on, but yet if I don't have a way to consider that, if I don't have a way to really look at it, then, then I won't know. And so that's why we want to start off with looking at some things that maybe can help us say, yeah, that is me. That is the way I see myself. That is the way I view my life. So, uh, so what is the key? How can we truly see ourselves for who we are? Well, the answer is to look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. And when you do, sometimes you're shocked. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's move to the real picture. The next slide. See, you look in the mirror. Little baby loves himself. That's good. He's got a good self-image. The reality is, look, when we need, the only way we know who we are is if we look in the mirror. Now, when we look at the Word of God, the Bible actually says the Word of God is like a mirror. So when we look at what the Bible says and what God says in His Word, it actually shows us who we are. So we want to do that. We want to look at that tonight. And, um, and I think that when we look in the mirror, we can see two extremes in our lives. And here's two extremes of how we might view ourselves, how we might see our identity. Number one is this. We might think too highly of ourselves, right? I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like life is, there's two ditches. Thinking too highly of yourself is the first ditch. So Psalm 36 says this. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. So part of deception could be we think we're too good. We think we're better than we really are, right? That, that, and that's bad. And then Romans 12 says this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So it's important we understand who we are. It's important we understand who God made us to be, that we actually... Uh, walk in our identity, we walk in who God made us to be, and we don't reach too far. Let me give you an example when I reached too far once. So I was in a wedding. My, my wife and I were asked to sing at a wedding once. It was one of her friends. And they said, would you sing this song? And it was, I can't even remember the song now. I think I blocked it out. And you'll see in a reason, you'll see in a minute why I blocked it out. But I, I, it was some kind of really modern song, pop song. And we said, sure. And we didn't really know it well, so it was in the days when you had cassette tapes with soundtracks. Remember that? So like they had the, you're thinking, some of the young people, cassettes, this guy's ancient. Anyway, so, so you put the cassette in, and you know, it plays a soundtrack. So in practice, I had sung the song, but there was a part that went really high. You know, like the, 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 the original artist could just, oh, like go way up there, like real high tenor. And I couldn't do it, so I came down. But then I was singing it in front of the wedding, and it was exciting, and I was, I was kind of energized, right? And I'm singing along, and I'm thinking inside, should I do it? Should I do it? I'm thinking. And so, and you know, the bride and groom are there, and it's just packed with people, and I'm, I'm thinking, I can do this. I can do this. So I tried to hit the high. It was like, oh, like it was really bad. It was like crash and burn, and I came down in the low part again. And, and you know, you hope at moments like that that no one notices. But you know they do, right? But you just hope no one even says anything. But sure enough, as soon as I went out in the lobby there in the entrance, Somebody came up to me and said, I saw that. And of course they did, right? But what was my point? I went beyond, I thought too highly of myself. I thought I was like that rock star, and I wasn't. And so I tried, and I stepped out. But I would be wiser to stay in my zone, right, in what I was called to do and what I could do. So thinking too highly of ourselves could be a problem. I think often the next ditch is the bigger issue for most of us. 
And that is thinking too little of ourselves. So you've got, you've got kind of this road. And you, what you want to do is you want to just kind of be in that healthy middle. Don't think too highly. Don't think too little of yourself. I like what Christine Kane says. She's a, a real um, good preacher who preaches the word. She says, thinking too little of yourself is just as bad as thinking too much of yourself. Pride and rejection want the same thing, to keep you from seeing yourself the way God sees you, right? So thinking too little is as bad as thinking too much. And sometimes we don't think that though, do we? We actually think it's better to be falsely humble, to diminish who we are, right? It's just better, better for me just to downgrade who I am, and that, that's way better than, like, I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to overreach, but, but I, I should just kind of downgrade. Uh, Psalm 22, 6. This is not a good scripture for your fridge, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people, right? We're going to do a series in our church on this verse. <laughs> It's not a fridge verse. That's not something you're going to put on your fridge to remind yourself, right? But I, I'm saying, I mean, and I took that out of context there. You should read Psalm 22.6. But, but that's sometimes how we think. I'm a worm, not a man. I'm, I'm, I'm despised. I'm not, I'm not what I should be. And I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of a man named Chris Hodges. He's a pastor in the United States. Uh, he leads the ARC Network, him and a team. You know, we, we went down to a conference. ARC is the Association of Related Churches. They plant a lot of churches around the world. And we went and, and, and we're at a conference, and Chris Hodges shared. I don't know about you, but when somebody stands in front of, like, hundreds of people and is very honest about their life, I am totally impressed, right? Um, just like I was impressed with you being that honest, Right? I mean, you're probably the only honest one in the room. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> but you're very honest, right? I appreciated people being, being honest like that. And so he shared. He stood up there, and he's a great preacher. He does such a good job. And he stood up there, and he talked about how he leads this giant ministry, this great church, has all these churches that they've planted. And yet every time he goes to preach, he hears this voice tell him that he's no good, and that he, he has nothing good to say. Now, he battles it, right? He, has, he battles it, but he, he always has this nagging concern that he's not good enough, that he can't do the job, and he has to deal with it all the time. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard that voice. I'm sure you have at times, telling you you're not good enough, you can't speak well enough, you're, you're not competent enough, so you just shouldn't do that. Don't bother sharing that you know, the good news of Jesus with somebody because you're not good enough. Don't bother trying to help that person. Don't bother trying to do anything creative because you're not good enough. And just like him, we need to fight that. We need God to help us um, because that's not true. Second Corinthians 3.5, he talked about how he had this verse on his mirror. This is a good one for your fridge right here. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. God is the one who makes you competent to serve him, to do anything he calls you to do, and to be the person he's made you to be. He's the one who's made you competent. So what I want to do is I want to share quickly a couple of Bible stories. 
I love Bible stories. The, the, the New Testament tells us that every story in the Bible, every Old Testament story was given to us as an example to help us to serve God and live for God. So even though, like, you know, we've got the New Testament of the Bible, which talks about Jesus coming, which talks about uh, what he did on the cross, which gives us instruction for living because of that. And then we have the Old Testament before Jesus came, right? But both of them are important. And so the New Testament, in the New Testament, we're told that the Old Testament stories, they help us know how to live, right? So you could look at, now how many people know you can either be a good example or a bad example, but you can always be an example, right? I think we should always try to be a good example, but you can be a bad example and say, don't do what I did, right? I've done that in my life. Uh, this doesn't work. Don't do this. So there's some times in the Old Testament you can see some bad examples. So I want to give you a couple examples that, that might help you to see how thinking too little of ourselves, how thinking inaccurately about our identity uh, will impact us. And some of the fruit of that. The first person I want to talk about is a man named Saul. Now, when Saul shows up on the picture in the Old Testament, Israel doesn't have a king. They have what's called judges. And the judges were quite inconsistent. And actually, it was a bad time. If you ever read the book of Judges in the Old Testament, it's really a weird time. Like, it's lots of bad things happen. There's bad leadership. It's inconsistent. So what happens is after that time, the people of Israel say, we want a king. Every other nation in the world, around them at least, has a king. We want a king. We want somebody who's going to lead us and that, you know, we lead us into battle and be our king. And actually, God doesn't want to give them a king. He says, I'm your king. And, but they say, no, we want a king. God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. So, God chooses a man named Saul. Now, Saul looked like a king, right? He was like really tall. I don't know how tall he was, but he was head and shoulders above other people. So when you looked at him in the crowd, you could see King Saul. You could say, hey, there he is. He's over there. He was really tall. He looked like a king, had the, the stately walk of a king and all that stuff. But here's the thing. On the outside, he looked like a king. On the inside... He was shy and he had an inferiority complex. He struggled with who he was. Well, how can we know that? Well, when he, when he gets, you think about this, it's his day of coronation. By the way, I had the opportunity to go through Westminster Abbey. It was very exciting. I saw the coronation chair that's been there for hundreds of years. It looked like it. Like it's, it's people have carved in it. Like it's, anyway, it's preserved, which is good. But I mean, I saw, so I thought about the, all the, kings and queens that have been, you know, uh, coronated there from, for hundreds of years. So can you imagine on the day of coronation, think about this for a minute, just put it in context. It's Queen Elizabeth's coronation in 1952, I think it was, right? Queen Elizabeth's coronation, they're all there. They're ready to coronate Queen Elizabeth, but they can't find her. You know, where is she? Where is Queen Elizabeth? <laughs> right? And they have to go and find her. They have to hunt around, and she's hiding in the, the, the women's toilet, right? Like, she's hiding out, and she, she's, like, really scared and shy and upset and, like, doesn't want to be the queen, okay? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Thank God she 
didn't do that, right? She'd been on the throne all these years. She never did that. She never hid. That's what Saul did. New king. He's going to be the king. They're coordinate. You know, they're all ready. And uh, where is he? Can't find him. And he's hiding in the baggage. <laughs> Cowering, hiding in the baggage. I think this was a bad sign, to be honest. I think it was a bad sign. What was happening? Well, he... There, there was, you, and you could say, well, look at how humble he was. Look at how, how just he's such a humble man. He doesn't want to, you know, push himself out there. Well, no, actually, he wasn't humble. He was in, insecure. He wasn't confident in God. And so he's afraid. And so they pull him out. They make him king. But unfortunately, he continues on that way throughout the rest of his reign. He, he's inferior. He deals with fear. And what happens is there's a man named David. And we know that David eventually became king after Saul. But Saul just didn't do the right things. He disobeyed God. He wasn't obedient to what God called him to do. Finally, God says, I'm done with you, Saul. You're a bad choice. Uh, I regret having made you king. You don't honor me. You don't listen to me. Uh, you care too much about what people think of you. You're, you want to please people. You don't want to please me. So he got a man after his own heart, which was David. Well, then as soon as he, God starts raising up David, Saul's jealous. Saul's jealous of David. Saul's threatened by David. Saul's competitive with David. And so Saul uh, goes after David and chases him for years, tries to kill him because he knows he's going to be the next king. And Listen to what he says in 1 Samuel 22. He's talking to his men because he wants his men to find David and to get rid of him. And, and so here's what he says about in verse 8. He says, None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. No, none of you is concerned for me. Saul is a victim. He's playing the victim card. None of you is concerned for me. None of you cares that I have this enemy. He's a victim. Now, I don't know about you, but it's not good to be a victim, right? It's not good to be somebody who feels that they're, out of, they're powerless. There's nothing they can do. Everyone's against them. Nobody's for them. And that's the way Saul thought. He thought no one cared. He thought I'm a victim. And so instead of uh, affirming David, he, he persecuted him. He pursued him mercilessly. Um, finally, finally, God steps in and uh, Saul and his sons, it's a sad story, are killed and David becomes king. Man after God's own heart. A man who was secure in his knowledge of God, a man who was a lover of God, a worshiper, confident in God. But Saul, unfortunately, I look at my own life at times, and I see Saul. I don't know if you do, but I do. In, in, in your own life, if you see Saul sometimes, insecurity, maybe competitiveness, maybe a victim mindset at times, these things show us something that isn't right. It's an identity God doesn't want us to have. God doesn't want us to walk in those things. So Saul is a bad example. How about the Israelites themselves? Here's another story for you. So when God, when the Israelites left Egypt, God told them that he was going to give them the best land on earth. 
a land flowing with milk and honey. Now that's metaphorical, right? There wasn't actually waterfalls of milk and honey, but it was meaning it's abundant, meaning there's lots of good stuff here, lots of, lots of produce, lots of fruit, lots of uh, things you can eat. It's just plentiful. So they go through, uh, they leave Egypt. Of course, the enemy you know, tries to chase them. Remember, the, the, if you followed the story, um, they, go to, they get to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. All this, almost two million people go through the Red Sea to the other side. The waters come down, bury the Egyptians, bury their enemies. Wow, God's pretty powerful. They start marching into the desert. They start heading toward the promised land. And it's not very long before they're at Kadesh Barnea, and they're, they're standing at this place, and they're ready to go in. And God says, it's time for you to go and get your promised land. It's time for you to get your inheritance. So they send 12 spies in to go check it out. And then the 12 spies come back. Here's what they say. They say, it's fantastic. It's everything we ever dreamed. It's good news so far. Everything we ever dreamed, it's got, you know, big grapes. I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if you ever watched, uh, had this, but my mom had these, uh, or uh, actually it was in doctor's offices. We, we didn't have the money to have these books ourselves. But I went to doctor's offices and they had these big Bible, like illustrated books and they'd have all these stories in them. I was just a little kid. And so they had the one where they had the big, the big, um, you know, rod with the grapes on them. Like the grapes are like that big and the two guys are carrying them back from scouting. I mean, it was impressive. I, it still sticks in my mind. Kids are so impressionable. We should buy those books, Val. In my 50s, we should get those books. Anyway, so, so what happens is they say, absolutely, they bring back those, those grapes. They bring back some produce. They, they have evidence that it's wonderful. Looks good. Except there's a problem. And here's the problem. There's giants. It's not going to be a cakewalk to go in and get this promised land. There's these giants there. There's these fortified cities there. How, how many people realize, and you probably found this in your own life, that God promises you some things. God says he wants to do wonderful things in your life and he wants to make you fruitful and he has blessing for you. But how many people realize you have to fight for it? Wouldn't it be nice if he didn't? You know, just sit in your chair, you know, and the blessing will flow, right? Wouldn't it be nice? But it isn't. There's, there's like God says, hey, I want to bless you. I want you to prosper in your job. I want you to prosper, you know, with your family. I want you to prosper on, in your neighborhood. But, but you're going to have to go and step into it. And you're going to have to push through. And you're going to have to deal with some fears. And you're going to have to deal with some things that, that I'll help you to deal with so that you can get your inheritance. So that's what he was, that's what the reality was. There was giants. So there were, 10, there were 12 people on, on that team, and 10 of them said this. 10 of them said, and I'll read it to you from Numbers 13. Here's what they actually said. They gave Moses this account, verse 27, Numbers 13, 27. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is, is its fruit, okay? Think giant grapes, just like I talked about. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. In other words, it is really great, but 
we have giants to face. Now, Caleb and Joshua were two different people, and uh, they're of different minds, those ten. The ten said, there's giants there, they're afraid of them. Caleb and Joshua say this, Caleb silences the people, shh, quiet everybody, I need to say something. He says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Wow, I love that guy, right, Caleb? Hey, listen, guys, I know there's giants. We have a big God. Let's go. Who's with me? Let's do it right now. That's his attitude. But it says this in verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land. How many people have found that bad news spreads more than good news? Right? (laughs) You want to... You, you know, just say something negative, everybody, oh, what's that, right? So the bad report spreads, and people, you know, you got Caleb saying, I know, there's giants, hey, everybody, there's giants, but we can beat them. And then there's the other people saying, there are giants, we can't beat them. And so they go, I think he's right. And actually, if you read it in the Bible, they, they, they cry out, and they're angry, and like they're sad. Anyway... They, they, and here's what they said. This is the last part I want to read on this. Verse 33. We saw the Nephilim there, and we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now, I want to focus on that just for a moment, and then, and then we'll be done shortly. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Here's the problem. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. See their identity. So they saw the giants and they said, we're, we're, compared to that problem, compared to that situation, I'm a grasshopper. I'll be squished, right? And here's what I'll say said, and they think the same way about me. Those people, they look at us and they think we're grasshoppers, they think we're losers. Isn't it interesting how we assume often what other people think of us? Hey, isn't that amazing? We will assume so-and-so thinks this of me, or this is how they view me. Can I tell you how they actually viewed them? It says earlier in, 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 in the passage in Exodus, I'm just going back to it here, it says that their hearts melted with fear. Leviticus 26 says God had melted their hearts. Those people that they were afraid of, they were terrified of Israel. They were absolutely terrified of them. Can I, can I say something to you about how the devil sees you? The devil is terrified of you. Now, you may think, I have a big bad devil, and, and he's out there for me, and he's roaring around, and and I have to fight them all the time, and I can't overcome them, and, and I, I just can't win, and it's so hard, and he's so big. Listen, he's more afraid of you, because he knows this. you got to hear this. If you get it, if you understand who you are, if you grab a hold of the identity that God really has given you, and you say, hey, wait a minute, there's some obstacles here, but I have a bigger God, the devil knows you're a threat. Because here's the good news for the kingdom of God, when you get on fire like that and you believe that and you start living like it, you'll tell other people and you'll get other people involved and you'll be reaching other people and the kingdom advances. 
So what would the devil rather do? Keep you believing lies. Keep you believing you're small. You know, the enemy's really big. And you're really small. That's what he wants you to know. Your obstacles are really big. And you're just like a little grasshopper, right? Like you are really small. And that's not true. And that's what these people... So what happened with these people is they had a sad, sad... It's one of the saddest moments in the Bible. The promised land was right there for them. And because the bad report spread, God actually said, you know what? You're not going in right now. The only two people who are going to go in are Caleb and Joshua. But they're going to have to wait 40 years. 40 years. Because none of those other people are going to get in. And so they're all going to die off in the desert. You know what I think? I think Caleb and Joshua cheered at funerals. I, I do. I think so. I think, no, seriously, I think they did. Because they, they had to wait till that whole generation was gone, everyone 20 years old and older. And I think they were like, okay, oh, another funeral. That means we're one step closer, you know. It sounds morbid. But, but I mean, the reality is, that's, it took 40 years. And then finally, it was all different. And those two, they went in and they got their promised land. Because all along, they saw the way God really they saw who they were in reality, and they refused to be defined by their enemy. They refused to be defined by how others viewed them. So, what do we do with this? Well, I want to finish off and summarize two things then we need to, to understand. They, these people didn't properly know their identity. The Israelites saw themselves through the eyes of their intimidating foe through the through the obstacles they faced and through their own insecurity Saul saw himself through the lens of insecurity inferiority and a victim mindset and therefore he led poorly he hurt other people he was grasping all the time trying to defend his power it was really bad so what is the proper lens to view ourselves a view that will remove, remove insecurity and inferiority it's a good question. I'm going to show you tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow morning. I want to give you a viewpoint. I want to give you... It'll be... It'll be it's, it's a simple viewpoint, yet it's profound. And if you can have God, let God put the revelation in your hearts, it will change you. It will change the way you relate to God. It will change the way you see yourself. It will bring peace in many areas of your life. It will bring healing. And it'll help you move forward in what God has for you. So we'll look at that tomorrow morning. But tonight I want to start by leading you in a prayer to repent of where you've walked in wrong identity. Where you've allowed the enemy to cause you to walk in, in deception, really. And tonight we've looked in the mirror and we've considered. So in looking in the mirror tonight, looking in the Word, and looking at these examples, we see Saul who walked in insecurity, fear, control, manipulation. He was trying to always control his situation. And we saw the Israelites who refused to believe what God said. And they gave in to their, their giants, and they were intimidated, and they never got what God gave them. So... Here's one I want to ask you tonight. And if you'd stand with me, 
If you'd stand with me, we're just going to take a moment. And I, I want to encourage you to um, just close your eyes with me, if you would. Just close your eyes for a moment. I like to do this at home in our church before we're done because I always think that if we just hear the word and then immediately leave, we're like looking in a mirror and then we don't make a change. So we want to look in the mirror tonight, but then stop and ask ourselves the question, how does this apply to me tonight? Ask yourself that. How does this apply to me tonight? Is there something in the example shared that, that really resonate, that really, maybe you're someone and you struggle with a victim mindset. You struggle with feeling like you're powerless, like, like you're not strong enough, and even God isn't strong enough in your life to help you, and you, you struggle with that. Or maybe you struggle with control. Maybe you struggle with being jealous of others at times. They have it better. And you, you wrestle with that about where you're at and where they're at. Maybe, maybe you struggle just thinking my giants are too big and, and you don't believe that God's big enough to really help you. You don't believe that, that he can do what he said he can do. And you can't see yourself as someone who he would want to bless. Whatever it is, just say, how does this relate to me? And then when you have that, just kind of lock it in, okay? Just lock it in. Say, okay, this, this one thing. God is putting his finger on this one thing. And ask the Holy Spirit because he knows what he wants to do in you. This isn't about having good talks or hearing good. This is about God working in you and changing you and taking you one step further into what he has for you. I'm just going to give you another 20 seconds just to kind of lock that in. What is that? What is that tonight? And then, just want to pray with you. And so, if you want me to pray with you and you're just simple agreement, you, something's locked in and you want me to pray with you, just that you give this over to the Lord, you repent, and just slip your hand up. Just slip it up. Just say, I've got something and I want you to pray with me. Just slip it up. Okay, see the hands. I'm going to pray with you right now. All right? And in, in your heart and with me, as I pray, just say, God, forgive me for having that attitude. Forgive me for falling into that. Forgive me for believing and being and allowing that deception. Because we're all deceived in some ways. We are, we're all trying to come to new truth and, and, and there's, there, there are areas that we still yet need God to help us. So deception, we, we can be deceived. And so ask God, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. So let, just, just hold your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Father, right now, you see these hands. And Lord, you know what you have spoken to them. You know what you have highlighted tonight in these people's lives. You know what you want to do. So Lord, whatever it is, and, and Lord, I just speak as, as one of them. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us uh, for where we um, have allowed this wrong image. We believe things that we shouldn't believe. Or we've given in to things like Saul and, and those, those people of Israel gave in to. Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us when we don't trust you. 
Um, we want to clear the air tonight with you. We want to say, God, we want to trust you. We want to believe you. We want to believe that we are who you say we are. And so forgive us when we haven't. Forgive us when we've walked less than that, when we've been victims, when we've um, not allowed you to work in our lives. And God, I pray right now for each person that you would open their hearts this weekend. Holy Spirit, touch them, fill them, and open their hearts so they can hear new truth, they can hear revelation from you, and Lord, we can leave here stronger, knowing who we are and knowing what you have for us. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.